you want to feed the soil. You want to look at this as a long-term gain. You want to look at vitality and regeneration coming from within, coming from within the farm, not being dependent on bringing stuff in, not being dependent on using herbicides and pesticides when inevitably nature is imbalanced. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. Let's give some Los Angeles love to our friends over at Osea, the original plant-based, results-driven skincare line. A couple years ago, I received a mysterious box in the mail, opened it up to find some skincare products. Nice packaging, I thought. Let's see what's inside. So I turned it around to take a peek at the ingredient deck, because you know I'm a very discerning user of products I put in or on my body. And uh, to my surprise and joy, I found that their ingredient deck was extremely clean, uh, so much so that if one wanted to, you could in fact eat their products although I wouldn't recommend it because they're so good for your skin. Osea stands for the elements of wellness, ocean, sun, earth, and atmosphere. And their entire line is built on these four pillars, and they pull botanical sources from all around the world to create products that are truly effective. Each of their products is infused with sustainably sourced organic Patagonian seaweed and active botanicals, They're founded and run by a family of women inspired by the sea. And Osea can help reveal and illuminate your natural radiance, whether you're looking for hydration, oil balancing, anti-aging, or blemish solutions. Every product is sustainably packaged, non-toxic, cruelty-free, vegan, and made with love right here in California. And by the way, if you're in the LA area, make sure to stop by the Osea Venice Skincare Studio for a facial that will blow your mind. If you want to order online, simply go to oseamalibu.com slash thelifestylist. That's O-C-E-A malibu.com slash thelifestylist. If you use that link, you're going to get 10 bucks off your first purchase of $50 or more. And you'll also get free shipping on U.S. orders of $75 or more and free samples with every order. That's oseamalibu.com slash thelifestylist. Let's give some love to our sponsor, Blue Blocks. They offer a complete range of evidence-backed blue blocking glasses to suit your every need. Imagine that. You can block blue light, get good sleep, be in a good mood, and not look like a tool. Super rad bonus. What's even more cool is that now they do prescription and reading glasses. So all you have to do is send them your prescription and they do the rest. You're going to get some great blue blocking prescription glasses back in the mail They also have an epic send your own frame service now. So you can send your own sunglasses or whatever glasses in and they're going to magically transform them into blue blockers. All of this, of course, happens at blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X. If you enter the code over there at blueblocks.com, lifestylist, you're going to save 15%. Uh, speaking of blocking light, they also have a new sleep mask that I really dig. It's called the Remedy. Get it? R-E-M, like REM sleep, Remedy. It blocks out 100% of the light. And that's really important because even if a little bit of light hits your eyes when they're closed, 
That's enough to raise your blood sugar levels and suppress your melatonin. So when you're sleeping, you really want to be wearing an eye mask. And theirs is awesome because it's got zero eye pressure and provides complete darkness. They also guarantee that they produce that darkness and they also have free worldwide shipping. So to get your glasses and your sleep mask, go to blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X, blueblocks.com. Enter the code LIFESTYLIST and save yourself a cool 15%. I want to take you higher. That's right. This is episode 294, Higher Ground, Rediscovering the Ancient Wisdom of Cannabis, CBD, and Hemp with Stephen Smith. Stephen's a buddy of mine. He's also co-founder of a company called Onda Wellness. That's ondawellness.com. And these guys make some fantastic hemp and cannabis-related products. In fact, I have them all over my house. They're uh, quite fantastic. You probably heard me talk about them before. But I really wanted to do an updated episode. I did one a couple of years ago with my friend Brian from Medicine Box. They make THC-infused cannabis products. They're fantastic also, by the way, but you have to get them at a dispensary, et cetera, whereas Onda is available in health food stores and online and uh, doesn't get you high. So uh, I wanted to do a new updated show on all things cannabis, hemp, CBD, THC, the whole industry, the whole deal. And for those of you that are curious about all of the noise in this industry and have a hard time understanding how all of this works, this episode is going to answer every question you could have ever possibly had into your mind and then some. So we talk about biodynamic and regenerative farming practices, especially as they pertain to the hemp industry. And the fact that we now have an opportunity to set the course for hemp away from the commodity and industrial agricultural model and actually empower the people and farmers who produce it along the way. So we're going to be reintroducing this ancient medicine with new environmental and climate-friendly practices. We also talk about the time Stephen and I recently spent together in a peyote ceremony, how we got into biodynamic farming, grape growing, and eventually hemp growing how hemp can be used for building materials, medicines, food, and fiber, when the government began to outlaw hemp and why they did it. It was a big scam, turns out. The difference between hemp, CBD, and cannabis plants and products. The fact that we now have what I call decaf weed to smoke, that is uh, cannabis flower or buds or nugs, some of you might call it, little nuggets there, uh, that don't have THC, which I was thrilled about because I actually like the flavor every once in a while of uh, smoking a little weed, but I don't want to get high because I'm sober and all that. You know what I mean? Uh, In this particular interview, in fact, I smoked a big CBD fatty and it was delicious. But I must say, although it didn't get me high because it has such a low THC content, it did make me a little dim-witted and just super relaxed. So that'll be the last time I smoke one of those during an interview. FYI, note to self. Uh, But it would be nice to use to relax before bed, et cetera, which is what I do from time to time. Because Stephen gifted me a little sack of uh, this non-THC decaf CBD weed. Uh, And I would also like to give the disclaimer that if you are a sober person who previously had problems with addictions, including smoking too much weed, I would not recommend that you (laughs) follow my path of smoking the decaf weed, nor would I recommend, especially if you're new to sobriety, that you drink non-alcoholic beer. Just saying, but it's up to you. You know, call your sponsor, do what you got to do. 
Uh, we also talk about the dirty secrets of the cannabis industry and growing practices. It turns out a lot of people do this very shittily and uh, they treat the environment very poorly. And so we really dive into some of the industry secrets, not only in terms of growing, but also manufacturing, marketing, et cetera. It turns out it's kind of a shady industry. Who knew? How cannabis can be grown using regenerative methods and even biodynamic methods, the various extraction methods for CBD products, how to cut through the noise and oversaturation of the cannabis industry and find the best products so you know what to look for, what to look out for, what to buy, what not to buy. We also talk about the many scientifically valid health benefits of CBD, the difference between CBD with and without THC, how Onda Wellness tests for purity and active ingredients. And speaking of OndaWellness.com, Stephen was kind enough to give you guys 20% off if you should choose to check out his products. You can go to OndaWellness.com, use the code LUKE20 and save 20% off. Their stuff is amazing, no joke. I have it all over my house. I have their little uh, like muscle rubs and the tonics and all kinds of different stuff. So, um, you know, I always try to get a discount for you guys when a guest comes on the show that happens to represent a company. But uh, fret not, this is definitely not a long commercial for Onda Wellness. Uh, I just like to uh, give the guests props when they do it right and give you guys a discount. So that's that. That's OndaWellness.com, loop 20. All right, my friends, now all you need to do is sit back, relax, enjoy some cannabis in whatever form suits you and learn everything you could ever want to know about this incredible plant medicine with our guest, Stephen Smith. Good to see you, dude. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So we've been talking about this for a while, my friend. We finally got her done, or at least we're about to get her done. Here we are. Lit a fire under your ass. I was like, I'm going back to Oregon. I got two weeks. Yeah, well, when anyone... You know, we've talked about being on the show and it's going to force me to do a recording on Zoom versus doing it in person. Yeah. I'm always going to jump on the in-person opportunity. I mean, you it's know, nice just, spot. Yeah, the ambiance and you just get better video quality, better conversations. And for sure. I think the finished product for the audience is just a little more robust when we do it that way. So, yeah. So first thing I want to start with is... Uh, I want you to tell me how you first got into biodynamic farming, grape growing, and then eventually moved into growing hemp. Gosh, yeah. So, you know, I worked in the restaurant business in in, uh, college and I saved up some money and I I went to South America and uh, bought a motorcycle and rode around for five months by myself. And I ended up in Mendoza and I really fell in love with that uh, grape growing region grape growing region. And then I, I got connected with a guy, uh, David Mahaffey up in Napa. And I pretty much harassed him until he said, yes, come be my intern. And this guy has been like a mentor. He's a total autodidact. He like shot film for Polaroid in the seventies and used to hang with Warhol and like taught film at Harvard and all these amazing things. But that was like really my first deep dive into farming. And he used a lot of permaculture methods and organic farming methods, grew his own food and all these things. And then I worked in the wine business for a bit. And then I worked for Jackrabbit Hill Farm in Western Colorado. And that's when I first got exposed to biodynamic farming. And so that, uh, working for some other vineyards, working for a large scale ranch, all of this gave me, you know, and I'm not a farmer, I've worked in that capacity, but it gave me this kind of high-level view of land stewardship, uh, regenerative agriculture, how to really be a part of a farming system that is beneficial for 
the uh, consumers, the farmers, and the earth. And honestly, that has just been in the back driving the core of what we've been doing with what started as an experiment almost four years ago. And that's been driving the core and the soul of what we're doing. But because we're so small and we're self-funded, like you just can't take big steps and kind of do it all yourself. So you have to partner with really, really amazing people. And we've been lucky to circle back and partner with Lance at Jackrabbit Hill Farm and, and Kassad Farms. And uh, Jim Fulmer was the head of Demeter, which is the uh, certifying body for uh, biodynamic in North America. And he's one of our farmers. So we're like very, very closely connected to these, these uh, OG biodynamic farmers. And, and uh, so that, that was kind of my path. Like the real quick overview is working as an apprentice, uh, intern, sales, business development, uh, ranch hand, all these different things that kind of informed my, uh, my, my path and my, my passion for wanting to bring this into to hemp because it's a clean slate. Like we're all like we, you, us consumers, we're writing the, we're writing the code. We're like writing the, we're paving the way now. And that's why we're so fired up about talking about these opportunities because we're not like, you know, you look at um, dairy, almond, any other agricultural industry that's become super industrialized, commodity oriented, centralized uh, corporate it's like a massive uh, ocean liner and you're trying to change the direction and the course of this big ship. Well, we're all a bunch of relatively small boats kind of finding our own chart, our own navigation. So it's important for us, we think, to uh, really link with consumers and, and work with folks like you to say, hey, we have a chance to do this right, to do this in a way that's not commodity industrial farming. So before I get on that soapbox, you know, that's, that's what's fired us up the whole time and continues to do so. Cool. Uh, yeah. What's permaculture? So permaculture uh, is, uh, there's, there's a lot of overlap with a lot of these farming methods, eco-farming, regenerative, biodynamic permaculture. Uh, permaculture is basically uh, built on these kind of zones. So if you have a homestead, you would build uh, each zone going outward based on usage and, and timeline. So for example, in the outer zone, you'd have long-term growth trees. On the inside zone, you'd have herbs because they're right outside the kitchen. It's all about companion planting, um, really designing these systems based on use and working with the landscape and the environment to create a really, I'd say, dynamic and abundant little ecosystem, you know, food forest, stuff like that. Oh, that's dope. And would a traditional permaculture setup include the use of uh, livestock? Yeah. Or is you know, that, is a lot, it mostly just a plant growing situation? Uh, there is a use of livestock, but maybe not as a heavy, not as uh, heavy of an influencer use as maybe biodynamic farming, which is really, really focused on animal manure, you know, for fertilizer. Uh, definitely an influence of animals, but more from my experience, and I don't have a PDC, permaculture design certification or anything, but it's about designing the system based on use and and biodiversity and and flow of the landscape. So just customizing your the the farming experience uh, for 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 highest highest yield and productivity, but using these these methods of of uh, companion planting, intercropping, things like that. Companion planting, meaning plants that grow well together and support each other versus the antithesis of that being a monocrop where you have rows and rows of kale, corn, soy, et cetera. Yeah. And the monocrop conversation is interesting because it's relative to scale. In other words, if you have a hundred acres, but you're growing like 50 different things, 
you might say, well, that two acres is monocropped because in that two acres, it's one thing, but in the, in the, in, in, from the scope of the whole farm as an ecosystem, it's not a monocropped farm, right? But for example, the hemp that we're, that, that Jackrabbit Hill is growing this year is being intercropped. So it's like a four foot section of pasture that's t- torn up and then put hay down, not plastic as a weed cover uh, or as a weed suppressant, plant the hemp. And then it's echinacea, yarrow, chamomile, I think calendula, licorice, Chinese licorice. So all these herbs are using the shade cover of the hemp. This is the hope. Uh, And also really bringing more to the table as far as building soil health. So the short-term gain with any situation is like feed the plant, feed the plant, feed the plant. But our goal is feeding the soil. You know, feed the soil first, build something up for the long haul. You might not get crazy high CBD levels. You might not get crazy high yields right away, but it's a long game. And that's, the, that's a philosophical shift and a cultural shift that we want to support. You know, not, not band-aiding everything, not here's the problem. Let's build immunity. I don't want to get too far down that right now, but you know what I'm saying? Like, what's at the root? What's the core, deepest way we can build vitality and re- regeneration, whether it's on a personal level as a community, a culture. So those things are all parallel. Um, I digress, but the, the companion planting, for example, uh, I think in the orchard, they were planting uh, comfrey right near the root. And something about the comfrey, I believe, and I could be totally wrong, there's a taproot system that's allowing uh, basically this highway of nutrients to go a little deeper. So, or, or they're planting daikon radishes in the grass in the rows between the hemp plants because of that same thing. It has really long root systems. So, so looking at at partnerships, you know, associative like this this communal uh, way of growing, and and it transcends actually into a lot of other things we're working on. But but that companion planting that's the goal there uh, because you know when you have a a, a monocrop, it 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 just it can deplete. The soil, and so you, you really got to look at continuing to build that soil health by having all these other these other elements involved. So, if one wanted to, I think I think a lot of people right now are thinking about at least considering the idea, if not fantasy, of homesteading and getting out of urban areas. I'm speaking personally here. Uh, into somewhere with a bit more space and a bit more land. And uh, I'm just seeing more buzz around this, I think, because of current events, people, civil unrest, et cetera, people are, are, are not you know, wanting to live in the middle of a hot zone. And so um, I hear uh, people saying, oh, I'm going to move here and move there and, and grow my own food. And uh, having at one point tried to grow some of my own vegetables in these uh, kind of urban gardens. You know, there were these kind of garden boxes. They would deliver them and they had been seeded and uh, sp- actually sprouted and everything. And um, even taking care of that was a bitch. And so um, I can imagine if one wanted to do that, say, set up a permaculture, grow on their land for their own family's sustenance, uh, that they would want to get an expert in permaculture, someone, as you indicated, is certified. I forget the acronym, but to actually have someone come in and do the planning, get it all going for you, and kind of then you take on a certain degree of training so that you become self-sufficient and can do it yourself. That's kind of a an interesting idea. Yeah, I think that the permaculture more so than focusing on like 
uh, permaculture, in my experience, lends itself to be really relevant in a residential or family or you know, uh, producing for, for your community or yourself, right? Because it's really designed in my experience around what, what does the group need or what does the family need and what's going to be the best for this landscape. So the, (laughs) the permaculture design course, uh, is what I was referring to. That's a really good way for someone to go get the knowledge to, to implement that on their own property or in their own space, or you could bring a consultant in, whether they're a biodynamic farmer or a permaculture expert or anything else to, to get someone set up. But yeah, it's a lot of work. And this, this, this is one of the things that, you know, our, our mission statement is to uh, heal the people, empower our farmers and support the regeneration of the earth. So you think about teachers, right? They're always getting the short end of the stick. They hardly get paid. Farmers are kind of the same deal, especially if you buy into this commodity system where it's like, you know, no, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to pay this amount. We're going to wait. We're going to wait till the end of the year and see what the market price is. And that market price could totally screw over the farmer. So we're exploring these like profit share, shared equity, uh, associative ec- economics models where we can actually say, you know what? Our needs are covered. This margin is fair as, as the, the brand. And then we'll share either in profit or equity or something else with the farmer. We want to incentivize farmers to farm this way. The re- one of the reasons, in my experience, is it, it, as to why so much of this has gone to uh, pesticides, herbicides, industrial and commercial, is because they can't make it. You know, you got to either be like a hobby farm and have like agritourism or some boutique brand, or like you cashed out in Silicon Valley and then you have like a model farm. You know, but what about the people that just want to be farmers? Like, we can rewrite these rules. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm getting a little, little off subject, but you know, folks that do want to step outside the city and grow their own food, I would say, look at permaculture systems, uh, find consultants. And the other thing is, uh, it's a lot of work, but if you can just like, maybe you have a shared garden where it's a garden on one property, but you've got three or four families or friends working on it. That's huge. What happens when you want to go out of town? Like my farmer friends, they don't. They bust their ass all the fucking time. You know, it's crazy. So we want to reward that, but also to someone who wants to leave LA and go, go homestead and, you know, have chickens and, and butterflies and all that stuff, do it. But just, you know, maybe, maybe ease into it or, or do it with, with some help or whatever, you know? I was driving up, uh, where was I a couple of days ago? Uh, and I was, oh, I was coming up from San Diego and, uh, with my girlfriend and there's a, big agricultural field out there and there's a bunch of workers out there on their knees picking something. She's like, what are they doing? I said, they're picking strawberries. And she said, man, that looks hard. I said, yeah, you think? Like, can you imagine being out there all day? Like any kind of manual farming is... And oh, we bitch about the cost of food and yeah, organic food. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of work, you know? And um, so I, I like the direction you're going here and also not knowing much about the industry, but the whole government subsidy thing and the overlords at the Monsanto um, companies and companies like that, that, you know, are controlling the crops through GMO um, patents and all this kind of thing. I mean, that's, it's a complex conversation as it, it would be a kind of a detour for us to get too much off that, but I'm excited about the idea of regular people becoming knowledgeable and educated and at least starting to dabble in, farming themselves and 
if not, like, I don't know that I would ever do that personally, but I would work hard doing something else and hire someone to come manage my garden or something like that. You or, know? or just start small. Like if I sucked at it. Yeah. yeah or, I mean, just start with one tomato plant. The, the beauty of seeing something grow is insane. I mean, it's like, you don't have to just move to wherever and, and buy a farm. You know, we live in a Mediterranean climate, or at least we're in one right now, I should say. Yeah. So if you have a little bit of sun for six hours or more, grow some, grow some veggies, grow, you know, grow three, three heads of lettuce. How much do you need? You know, so just dabble, experiment. Uh, we work with uh, Kiss the Ground. They're a great organization based here in Los Angeles, and they do a lot to connect with the public to, to, to help connect that gap. There's a huge, huge gap between rural excuse me, an urban. And, uh, I, I don't, I think, I think you can, you can connect in a lot of different ways. There's a myriad, you know, there's a web here. And so it can just be building your own compost bin. Just start small. If you have a corner of your, of your backyard, or if you have like a, a balcony on an apartment, you know, you can grow stuff in the hanging You can grow some herbs on a, they have like hanging, uh, pots, you know, like fabric that has these little pouches with little, I mean, even that is is a step. It's 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 really attainable. So. Yeah, I got excited when I moved in this house, and uh, I, I went. There's a few kind of built-in little pots and the retaining walls and things like that. So I went and bought a bunch, a few different kinds of mint and some rosemary and stuff like that. And like the the yards on a auto sprinkler drip system and within like two weeks the men had all died however uh, and of the and the uh, lavender I also tried to grow lavender too um the uh yeah the mint and the lavender choked but the rosemary it's a little shady here for lavender is my guess it is yeah i think that was it uh but the the rosemary is crushing so like and lettuces one like, out of three i got so far cool you could grow a bunch of lettuce yeah i guess i could actually um i like some lettuces and uh, on that note, and then I want to move into like the topic of choice, which is this thing that I have in my hand. For those that are listening, if you've heard my lighter click, um, I'm enjoying a uh, CBD uh, joint, which I call decaf weed, which yeah. is like it for so many years, dude, after I quit smoking weed, which is like 23 years ago, because I was just very habituated to it and it was a, a, a gateway drug for me. So I just stopped. Um, as I probably told you before, but I remember thinking when I had to quit smoking weed, cause just to, for my own preservation of life, I was like, when can someone come out with weed that just doesn't have THC that doesn't get you high? Cause I really just like the smell, the taste, the ritual. Like I like the whole thing. 22 years later, somebody cracked the code on the genetics and, and here we have it, what I've always wanted. Um, but uh, when it comes to the, you know, the hemp industry and, and all of this stuff, I guess, what I'd like to start with is how and when the hemp plant or cannabis plant was vilified and made illegal. And other than the medicinal qualities of it, what are some of the other uses in terms of food, fiber, building materials, things like that? Yeah, gosh, it's a real sad story actually back in the 20s. And I haven't done an extremely uh, deep dive into this, but Back in the 20s, uh, from what I've read, there were some, some families. I mean, it always comes down to this, this shit, this economics, right? Families that were threatened by um, uh, the opportunity in hemp. So you've got the DuPonts, like the Hirsch family, some of these people that uh, had real deep ties into uh, paper through trees, right? So they, they really wanted to crush 
the hemp industry. And historically, I mean, we've co-evolved with cannabis. It's been around longer than we have. It's carbon dated back uh, all the way. And you can look back and see in apothecaries and pharmacies back in the late 1800s and early 20th century that they were using cannabis medicinally. And I think it was in the 20s. They, of course, sadly associated this with uh, uh, immigrant Latino populations. And, and this had this, this BS propaganda to suppress it and associate it. And there was this whole marijuana. They even started using that term, right? Uh, and, and it was a, a sadly very effective um, campaign that squashed uh, cannabis and, and then hemp. Hemp was more, I think, on the industrial side because of the uh, commercial interests of these big entities. And so in, in the 20s is when, is when it, it really uh, was, I think, outlawed in some capacity. And then in the 1970 or so, it was made illegal in the uh, Controlled Substance Act. So it's bullshit. I'm, am I not supposed to cuss? Oh, you, yeah. you already said fuck earlier, so yeah, we're, okay. we're, no, we're fine. I'm a little fired up. You know, it's so no, anyway, it's that, that was kind of when things uh, went south. And uh, we are now a part of the resurgence, the renaissance of this ancient crop, this unbelievably generous and dynamic plant. Uh, and that segues into the many uses. So, you know, I was, I was talking earlier, my senior high school research paper was on hemp. I was a cheeky, a cheeky little bastard in North Carolina. I grew up there and, uh, and I really preferred the effects of cannabis on my body to alcohol. And I'm a little intense and high strung. And there was a beautiful equilibrium I found at a relatively early age. So I picked uh, hemp because that seemed a little bit more appropriate and it wouldn't get shut down in my uh, you know, quasi-conservative high school environment. And I was blown away. It, it, it very quickly became very serious to me, the, the, the multitude of uses. Like, why are we not using this, right? From bioplastics to using the seeds for flour and food to insulation, uh, hempcrete, uh, medicines. It goes on and on. So at an early age, that was 20 years ago, I was really inspired by this. I didn't really plan to get into it. It just kind of came together in the last few years. But I think we're just literally just totally scratching the surface. You know, so you've got, you've got hemp that's basically low THC marijuana, cannabis, whatever you want to call it. The government calls it hemp if it's under 0.3% THC, even though it's grown like weed, it looks like weed, it smells like weed. It's all the same. It's just that the THC level is under what some suit in an office wrote on a piece of paper that says it's 0.3%, right? So what you're smoking is, is what you've been dreaming of <laughs> for 20 years. It's low THC weed. It's the same thing. But then you have another version, kind of the cousin of the hemp plant, which is uh, less about the flower and more about the stalk. So it's more about the woody stalk component of the, the, of the, of the mass and less, less flowering leaves. But it looks like bamboo. It's grown in these tall stands. And that's the stuff that, uh, that you use for, for building material uh, to make you know, young maven shirts and so on. Um, and right now, they're two different things. Got but, it. but when our stuff gets you know, uh, harvested and brought in to be shucked and the buds and the leaves and the small you know, bits of stem, because we're using as much of the plant as, as we can, gets chopped up to be infused 
uh, or in your case, smoked, that there is leftover. And that, that mass is something we're, we just don't have the bandwidth to, to start addressing all this opportunity. We're trying. Um, but that was used for bedding for the animals on the farm. It can be chopped up and used as uh, weed suppressant mulch. So, I mean, we're literally, I think, just at the tip of the iceberg. And as far as the cannabinoids go, you know, THC was the all-star forever and everything else was considered an inactive ingredient. And now we're realizing, uh, well, the Israeli folks about 20 years ago that discovered the endocannabinoid system began to realize that we've got over 110 cannabinoids in the plant. And so when we started, you know, finding these anomalies out in the field that have low THC, high CBD, and then we kind of took a turn and explored that route, once again, we're just scratching the surface of what all these these components in the plant can do for us. So, so I was hoping you would talk for a second longer. Okay. No, no, I'm just kidding. It's fine. <laughs> no, that's good for the audio. Just you know, to, they, they're getting the feel of it. Yeah. The experience. Yeah. Hey man, ear. Uh, back in the day that one of the stoner jokes was, uh, what's the most commonly used word amongst the pot smoking population? Don't, don't bogart the joint. No. <laughs> ear, ear, the word ear uh, for Bassett. But um, what I wanted to break down then and get an understanding of, so y- you have this one genus of plant, which is cannabis. And then depending on what strain it is or how it's been hybridized or bred, it either ends up then being recategorized as hemp or marijuana. Yeah. So within within one of the kind of sub umbrellas, because I really can't speak with uh, you know the highest level of of um, experience to all of the different the different uh, types of cannabis, but just 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 for the sake of the big bushy weed plant that we we know, right? It's it's the female plant is producing these really beautiful big flowers in the hope of being pollinated. You know that's how the whole nature thing works. And uh, they're these massive, these massive buds, these flowers that produce uh, oils and they produce a lot of nutrients. They're producing all of these cannabinoids. They're producing terpenes and terpenes are the things that give uh, weed the smell and the taste. So when you say that smells or tastes like weed, it's actually um, a symphony or an, a, a, a grouping of these volatile compounds that are called terpenes that exist in other, other parts of the plant world. So for example, you might have uh, beta carophylline or beta carophylline, which is in uh, black pepper. So that exists also in the cannabis plant, whether it's hemp or, or marijuana. You might have uh, uh, limonene, which is in citrus, pinene, which is in pine, um, uh, linalol, which is in lavender, right? So there's, there's, there's medicinal benefits to these terpenes and they exist in the things that we're using for aromatherapy or, or whatever else. So anyway, the, the, this plant, it's the same plant, except that I think, gosh, it was probably 20 years ago and I can't remember the doctor's name, but he found a plant in his garden that had really, really low THC levels. And that started the ACDC strain of, of hemp. And so basically it's, it's the same, uh, you know, biology, it's just kind of a, di- a different genetic line that just happens to produce lower amounts of THC. But here's where it gets very muddy and very strange. If you grow uh, CBD hemp genetics, you know, I'm putting in quotes here, air quotes, and say you let it uh, mature and the T- 
THC levels Ray, go over 0.3%, then according to the U.S. government, you're growing marijuana. And the consequences are very different. So it, it's, a, it's an interesting dance and it's an interesting game. Uh, I think you know, everyone's trying to navigate this. I mean, you have to remember, this is not, we're, we're launching a wine brand in an existing market. We're, we're, we're all pioneering this at the same time. So the rules are being written, the rules are being broken, the rules are being navigated collectively, and we're all just trying to kind of go for it. It's the Wild West, which part of is is very freeing and liberating for a small company like ours to just go for it with the best intentions. It also opens the door for a lot of misinformation and a lot of really, really, really bad products. Um, but to back to the plant, uh, yeah, it's the same thing. It's just when it's harvested, the genetics, uh, and how it's processed. So it needs to be under 0.3% by volume. So you do a field test uh, before it's harvested, and then you, you make your plans to harvest accordingly so that you can harvest it under 0.3%, and then you process it the same way. Now, the processing is, is a whole other conversation because you, has, you have people taking this beautiful plant and just beating it up and turning it into a powder, you know, an isolate. Or you have what we're doing, which we're really keen on, which is a slow infusion process, which embraces as much of the plant as possible. Not here to say what's right and wrong, just what we're doing and what we're not doing. I think the easiest way to look at it is like the isolates are like emergency powder, uh, which has a time and place. Uh, And then what we're doing is kind of like orange juice, fresh squeezed orange juice. So the body responds very differently to each of those. If you are growing uh, a field, a crop of... Uh, hemp with the purpose of harvesting the flowers for CBD, you go out and do a field test and it's rather than being 3% at the legal limit to still be categorized as CBD and not weed, psychoactive, et cetera. What if, what if just, you know, things went awry and it goes like to 4% or 5% and do then you have like a product you can't sell on the legal CBD market and some really shitty weed that like doesn't get you high. Well, it's like, not shitty weed. It's just, it's, CBD. It's, so that's a big issue. So like, and it, by the way, it's 0.3%. 0.3. Okay, which is pretty low, right? Okay. The plant naturally wants to be closer to one, even the CBD stuff. So there's these rules are like relatively arbitrary based on the biology of the plant and the opportunity for it to express its full genetics which is kind of a whole other conversation, right? So this is what's happening. They're literally torching fields. Oh God, what a shame. It's crazy. So they're burning fields or you're rolling dirty and you have to figure out what you're going to do. But I also will say that you can trim some of the buds and sell just the buds to a dispensary because the concentration of that percentage, or sorry, the, the percentage is attained by a uh, sampling of all of the pieces together. In other words, the concentration of those cannabinoids is in the flower. But in our case, because we want you know, nutrients from other parts of the plant, we're using the leaves and some of the stem. And so that, that, that helps kind of bring that ratio down a little bit. So we've been lucky that we've always just kept it under the legal limit. But yeah, I've heard of folks that have, uh, that have just basically had to pivot and then sell it as like a low THC, quote unquote, CBD weed in a, in a dispensary or, or otherwise. Or uh, they've got a lot of personal supply or they, they make a mulch. I, I don't know. It's an issue. Yeah. You know, and then... Because and then, you're trying to harness nature and nature has its own propensity to go one way or another. Well, and what does know? it all come down to? It all comes down to the, the villainizing of THC. You know, God forbid you get high. 
you know, and that's not what we're after. We believe in all of the pieces of the plan and we want to honor them. They all have, you know, there's amazing, uh, therapeutic benefits of, of each part that we're aware of at this point. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a funny dance. And there's a lot of stigma on the storytelling and the marketing and the education side. Well, I don't want to get high. That's fine. I feel you. I, I, I typically these days don't either. I have a lot to do and I really get a lot out of the, the uh, anti-anxiety and the body benefits of, of CBD. And that at this stage of my life is, is, is seems like enough, but uh, it's, it's a daunting task to educate people and, 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 and help them feel comfortable uh, trying this. But I will say it's all happening a lot faster than I thought it would. When we started this almost four years ago, it was like, hey, I, I remember I called my friend's parents who had experience in this. Who she, Annie's now my business partner. I said, do you think the consumers, do you think this is going to be a thing? Do you think CBD is going <laughs> to be a thing? And here we are. You go to like these natural food stores and, and for better or worse, it's all over everything. So it did become a thing. Um, but but I think the dust will settle, the cream will rise to the top, and I hope that people can continue to to have this very very clean natural medicine as a resource uh, that also comes with a lot of other benefits. You know, all the farming and environmental stuff that we're working on. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. When I got into herbalism over two decades again, one thing that I became immediately obsessed with was medicinal mushrooms. Now, as someone who's never liked to eat culinary mushrooms, I was terrified when I first found out that there are these incredible natural medicines uh, inherent to mushrooms. And so I tried them out. I started taking the reishi, the lion's mane, the cordyceps, shiitake, etc., and immediately felt an effect. However, over the years, as I learned more about the industry, I discovered that not all mushroom products are created equal. So when I found this company, Lifecycle, recently, I was completely stoked to find out that they make biohacking grade liquid extracts that are extremely potent and absolutely next level. All of their mushroom liquid products have strictly US and Australian grown ingredients, which is really important because most of the mushroom products, in fact, about 95% of them come from China and they're not all bad, but some of them are. So now more than ever, it's really important to have discernment when it comes to buying herbs and different products and health supplements. So I like to buy local and I always demand the very highest quality for anything I put in my body. And frankly, so should you. Another cool element of Lifecycle is they infuse kakadu plum in all of their extracts. This is an amazing fruit that has more vitamin C than any fruit in the world. So when it comes to fortifying your immune system, this is an amazing add-on ingredient. And I like to use their lion's mane for uh, better REM sleep and microdosing with other types of mushrooms that I won't mention here on the show. But uh, these particular products have just completely upgraded my game and my immune system. And I'm really stoked to bring them on board and to share them with you. I've also negotiated a 15% off deal for my loyal listeners like you. So here's how you get a hold of some of these amazing biohacker level medicinal mushroom extracts. Go to lifecycle.com. That's L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L, lifecycle.com. Enter the code STORY15 at checkout and save 15% off at lifecycle.com. And now back to the interview. Well, <laughs> the thing that's always struck me, whether or not it's been a time in my life where I use this plan in any capacity, uh, but it's always struck me just 
how absolutely ludicrous and authoritarian and just downright stupid it is for any controlling government agency or so-called elected leaders to classify this particular plant as a controlled substance and to send people to prison for it. I mean, it's oh, like... It's so so dark. It's so insidious. Dude, it's a plant. <laughs> like, you can literally throw some pot seeds <laughs> in your backyard and a couple months later have some weed. You know, it's like, it literally is a fucking weed. I just... I've always been an advocate for this particular plant. Um, A, I think it holds its place in my heart for really saving my life as a kid. It was the medication that I needed at that particular time uh, to just deal with the realities of life. Um, so, you know, the, the weed always has a sacred place in my heart, you know. But um, just from the fundamental point of view of just personal liberty and freedom, and if you want to talk about like a on the spectrum of things that alter your consciousness, uh, it's got to be the most safe. I mean, I don't know if I'd want everyone on the freeway just fully high all the time. You sure. know what I mean? Or an airline pilot or something. It's got its place. But I mean, by and large, compared with something like alcohol, it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You, know, you could sit here and f- force smoke uh, you know, a participant five fucking spliffs in a row and then give them five shots of Jack Daniels and watch what happens. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it just always has been one of the, the, the rebel in me is just irked by the fact that um, the regulations have been so strict. So when this started to emerge kind of on both sides of the medical marijuana, I started seeing the dispensaries pop up and then the CBD industry, as you indicated now flourishing probably to its own uh, detriment in some ways, which we can talk about. But I'm like, finally, man, just people are letting a damn plant grow. I mean, and so many plant medicines are like that. Even even mushrooms, I think about it in the same way. It's like, what? You, who are you to tell me that I can't eat a mushroom that just grew out of a stump or a cow pie? Like, what is that? It's just is absolutely insane that we ever went along with that overreach yeah the control and and the use of it as a mechanism for for deeper control is yeah like i said extremely insidious i think and um yeah a lot of people have been really negatively affected by that and and i think hopefully now uh those of us that are in this space whether it's it's the thc side or the cbd or whatever it's all the same plant we're we're picking we're picking uh, hopefully we're using it as mechanisms for good i mean we see that and we make decisions based on that every day you know we've we've had a number of opportunities to you know create some low quality product at volume which would have profited us but we go on struggling with our mission the same but um, I think there's a lot of people doing good with it but of course there's a lot of opportunists and people with with money signs in their eyes and I think those of us that are really dedicated to this uh, for whatever we feel to be the right reasons are kind of hoping that they move on to the next thing and can clear space because it's I don't know. I think it is opening up quick, more quickly and, and faster. I think if I had thought about this at, at 17 when I was writing a research paper about hemp, I don't think I would be having this conversation or, or it would be as open and as accepted. But you know, I think there's something about uh, intuition. There's something about instinct. And there's something in our bodies that, that knows this, uh, whether it's really good food or it's how we make a lot of decisions. And Hopefully, people can continue to be become empowered and trust their bodies and trust themselves to know that, you know, the, the government or whoever else that's telling them, you know, these, whether it's food or medicine or whatever it is, yes, we're very grateful to have the the systems we have and the opportunities we have. But 
you know, we also, I want people to be empowered to trust their body and see, see, you know, make the decisions accordingly. Um, because like I said, we've grown up with this, this plant for, since the beginning of time. And this is a true resurgence. It's a true renaissance, bringing it back to the people. So I want to ask one question uh, in a brief regression. If a legal CBD product has less than 0.3% THC, what is a percentage of this like Franken weed that, that these kids are smoking these days? Oh, yeah. Of this like, I mean, I just see no, photos. On, I see photos on Instagram, and I'm like, wait, like there's <sighs> actually there's not even any plant matter or cellulose. It's all resin. Like it's like dab, all crystals dab, dabbing and stuff. Well, I mean, yeah. then that, but I mean, just like. I sense that since I quit smoking weed in 1997, that it's gotten anxiety a lot, thinking about this. that it's gotten a lot stronger. So, what's like a really high percentage, uh, like close flower? to thirty percent? Oh, damn! Yeah, like you're cross-eyed, man. Like wow. I mean, I am. I don't like. Yeah. I just don't mess with it much anymore. And and that's the thing. Once again, you know, you've got where does the plant naturally want to produce it with, uh, with reasonable nutrient inputs, right? Like grown under the sun you know, cow poop spread on it and, and really growing right. Okay. 10, 12, 15, 20, depends on the genetics and the nutrient soil and a bunch of other stuff. But when you've got them in these warehouses, which drives me crazy growing weed inside, I think it's just, it's a mess. Uh, pumping it full of nutrients, you know, they're going as high as they can go. But that speaks right. to the same thing. High alcohol, beer, excess, macho, this, all this mentality of it being over the top. So- so that weed's like the malt liquor of of weed. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's the it's the rocket fuel, and then and then you you know you get the weed, and then you go through these extraction processes that isolate and concentrate to these like shatter, I think it's called, and yeah. dabs these like trays of 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 stuff that oftentimes the on the dirtier side they're using things like hexane and butane. Oh, know, right. So there's residual solvents. Excuse me. Same with a lot of the. Um, uh, the CO2 stuff, or sorry, the uh, the uh, CBD stuff, they're using solvents to, to to get it. So there's a chance that there's residual uh, residual solvents. But yeah, the the really concentrated stuff, I, it's 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 mind boggling. I mean, that's that that'll intoxicate you, intoxicate me. I can't speak for anyone else. If if uh, if one wanted to go completely on natural and get as old school with cannabis growing as as they possibly could. Are heirloom seeds available that have not been hybridized that are just OG like? 70s Maui Wowie. Yeah. 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 Sure. It's all out there. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't really go to dispensaries much. Uh, it usually comes straight from our farms, which is, which is, uh, something I feel really lucky to have that direct connection, but I think you can buy like starts. So you can buy small plants, you can buy seeds. Um, some of them have been feminized, which is a process that, you know, some people think is not very natural, right? Cause when you get seeds, you just plant them and then you get males and females. And that was my weed growing uh, experience in high school. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's two feet tall. And then all of a sudden I was like, wah, wah, what happened? <laughs> it's a dude. <laughs> yeah. or, or it got pollinated by the dude. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's just the natural cycle. But you know, you, you, to get the big buds and the big expression of those nutrients that the female plant is, you want to keep it, you want to keep the ladies separate. <laughs> yeah. So, so they can feminize seeds now. Yes. Yes. But in biodynamic from- farming, they look at that as not natural. Yeah. So this is this is you know biodynamic farming um, is is the highest organic standard. Um, it's been around since Rudolf Steiner gave his talks in 1925 in Austria, and the USDA based their organic certifications off it. 
Um, Rodale was inspired by it, who is a big mover and shaker in the organic movement. And so you have a lot of great terms coming out like regenerative. Well, that's a description of biodynamic farming. It's not a separate thing, but it's, it's treating the, the farm as an ecosystem, a self-sufficient organism, right? Um, so biodynamic farming would look at those seeds and say, no, you got to do it the hard way. You know, you got to plant and then get in there every day and look for the little balls, <laughs> look, look and pull the males, you know, if that's your goal. And that's something you have to be really cognizant of too, depending on where you're growing, because you can get, uh, your crop can get pollinated by a neighbor. And that's, that's, that's a whole other kind of internal industry, political issue. That's kind of how crops get tainted with, with GMOs and whatnot. Sure, too, sure. You know, Roundup and all that. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Plants are, their goal is to propagate. So they don't know what's your property and another property. You know, it's just like, yeah. cool, more earth and sun. Here we go. Uh, I wanted to ask about, I want to get into some of the growing practices, right way, wrong way. Well, I guess right and wrong, but just optimal, suboptimal, maybe we could say it like that. But I'm wondering with this sort of Wild West revolution in so much of the legalization of the CBD side of it uh, and the medicinal and recreational side of it, there seem to be people just growing this plant on huge swaths of land in a number of different states. In fact, last time I was in Colorado, in a, a godforsaken part of Colorado that I don't care for, which will go, remain unnamed, so I don't want to offend anyone that lives there, but my dad used to live uh, there, and it's just very dry and deserty, not a lot to look at, so I was stoked he moved back recently to Carbondale. But anyway, we're driving out of Country Road in, in uh, aforementioned town, and I look over and I'm like, what the... That looks like weed. And this is kind of, I wasn't even aware of kind of it going legal and things like that. It's a number of years ago. And I go, that looks like weed, dad. What, you know, like what's going on? He's like, oh yeah, they grow hemp all over here. It's a great crop, you know, so it's a a really successful uh, crop for a lot of these farmers. And so, of course, I realized that was not weed that could get you high, but how many crops get stolen by (laughs) bandits that think they're stealing weed to sell on the street for recreational use and they get home and they're like, oops, that truckload full of weed we just stole out of someone's field at two in the morning was like inert CBD weed like what I just had. But my joints feel better and I'm not anxious and I can sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was interesting. I was driving from where my little piece of land is in Northeast Oregon to our farm, our partner farm in Central Oregon, and along the highway, it's all wheat fields, dry, dry uh, farmed wheat, just rolling beautiful hill, hills in the middle of nowhere. And then you kind of come around this bend, and it's just like boom, like twenty acres, which is a lot. Like that's a lot of oil that produces a lot. Yeah. And there were there were there were signs up everywhere that had THC with a bar through it. This oh. is not weed, right? So so I have a feeling that 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 situation you described happened there because right. they were like, no, trust us, trust us. But at the same time, you also have people that are saying, yeah, we're growing hemp and it's for sure weed. Right. So you have abuse in that sense too. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure that, that, that that's happened. And it's really interesting. You talk about these large swaths of land. 2019 was a massive, massive growing season. I mean, everyone and their grandmother was like, I'm going to grow some hemp. You know, I'm, I'm right. doing it. 
Right. And, and now you have massive surpluses. And if you were a part of the commodity system, you have really uh, low prices uh, on that kind of commodity hemp, but you also have a lot of people that lost their ass. Like there was some really bad stuff that went down who, where people thought it was going to save their farm and they put all their cards on the table. Uh, they didn't have relationships with brands like ours. They didn't maybe do their due diligence to look at where are the bottlenecks in the industry? Where is it going to clog up? And a lot of people lost their ass last year really, really badly. So it's these cycles. And this year, a lot of people aren't. And then some people are reeling it in. uh, And we're going to see these cycles as the market continues to settle. But that's another reason why we try to pay a a, a fair price to our farmers, regardless of the commodity thing, so that they have some stabilization and incentive to work with us because they want to feel like, regardless of what's happening on the bulk market or on the uh, commodity market, they're going to be taken care of. I mean, can you imagine if your cost to grow an acre was X amount, you know, $2,000 and the market at the end of the season, you're only making 1500. I mean, the margins are slim on any sort of farming typically. So that could be devastating. A lot of it just stayed in the field. Wow. So um, anyway, it's just been interesting to learn. I mean, it's, it's been really stressful. It's put a lot of pressure on personal relationships um, we've learned a lot, but we're we're taking steps forward all the time. So we feel lucky in that sense. But it's unlike anything I've ever seen, and I don't know if in my lifetime I'll ever experience the emergence of such a such a profound industry. I'm thinking about now if I wanted to grow some THC <laughs> cannabis, I would definitely be getting those signs. <laughs> CBD only. There's no THC. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, trust like, me. You know, a lot of people, you don't want this. Yeah, that's funny. There, uh, there's probably a lot of people uh, doing it. You know, both ways. You know what I mean? Like you said, people that are just black market, like, oh, we're growing CBD over here, and and some of them uh, in the converse. That's interesting. Um, now let's go into the growing practices. Give me a hierarchy, starting with like worst practices for the environment. You know the plastics being used. What kind of water they're grown in? What are the suboptimal fertilizers being used? Artificial lights, like all this kind of stuff. What's like the the grimiest of the grow to the most pristine, which would be obviously the biodynamic. But give us kind of a range or a scale there of the of the different ways in which people grow, fertilize, harvest, extract, all of the production sure. that goes into this plant. Yeah. So I'm not a farmer, but I can definitely give you this kind of high level uh, perspective. So anything that's grown inside typically needs to command uh, a value or a sale that would justify those kind of costs, right? That being said, uh, most hemp, CBD hemp, especially after the surplus of last year, people aren't going to grow that inside. The cost per pound is, is too low. So most of the stuff that's being grown inside is your high dollar turbo, super robo weed stuff that we talked about. Um, and then as far as the outdoor, which is everything that we deal with, you know, I think, I think you got to look at your inputs, right? Like how much does it cost you in energy, labor, time, everything to produce this final product? So when you want to minimize, uh, all of your kind of costs, whether it's labor, um, uh, or, or anything really, you're going to look to cut corners. You're going to look for things that improve efficiency. But, but then there's a cost to that too on the other side, right? So it seems like most of the CBD hemp that's been grown in the last couple of years is a dirty game. And it's a dirty game because most people are using plastic to suppress weeds. It's called plastic mulch. 
it's not mulch in the sense of I've got chopped up, you know, bark at the base of my uh, flower bush, but it's a suppressant of, of any sort of cover crop or weeds or anything that's going to compete with nutrients in that space that you're growing the plant. So you have, and this is just one part of it, you've got rows and rows and miles or however many acres of this rolled plastic, right? That inevitably gets left in the soil. It comes from oil. So you have a carbon footprint of using uh, an oil derivative product. They have some veggie-based stuff, but then that's surely coming from uh, GMO crops and there's no perfect fix, right? So that's one thing that uh, doesn't really get talked about a whole lot is the use of plastic. And you know, it's like hemp's going to save the world, and it's like, yes, but it has to be in a in a way that's beneficial. You, you you can't. We don't want to support the same path, like I said, that a lot of other agricultural industries have taken or have had to take to be viable. It's maybe not that they want to do it, but if you have a family farm and you're trying to survive, and the market says this is the price, well, you have to do things, or you choose to do things to to keep it afloat. So I would say then at that lower level, you've got large, large plots of monocrop land. So land that is only one crop, right? And that, that's just not nature. And, and Will, Will Harris, who is a, a friend, acquaintance at White Oak Pastures said, uh, nature abhors a vacuum. And it's true. You need biodiversity. We, we, we need this, uh, we need this in, in the farms to, to create resilience and vitality. So if you're monocropping, you know, there's a consequence for that. And uh, if you're also planting and you're just taking, 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 you have to basically, uh, from the soil, you have to bring in a bunch of fertilizer. So you have to bring in um, uh, any sort of input that's going to basically give nutrients to the plant. Because ba- look at it like this. The soil is dead. The soil is a, is a carrier for, 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 to put the plant in and then you're feeding the plant directly. This is low-level farming I'm talking about, right? So you're using a lot of plastic. You're bringing in a bunch of inputs, a bunch of fertilizer, a bunch of stuff to feed. It's like it's on an, it's like it's on an IV. It's, not, it's in a coma. It's like it's, it's on oh, an IV yeah, and yeah. it's being fed nutrients directly, right? What we want to do, you know, as you kind of go up that, uh, you want to feed the soil. You want to look at this as a long-term gain. You want to look at vitality and regeneration coming from within, coming from within the farm, uh, not being dependent on bringing stuff in, not being dependent on using herbicides and pesticides when inevitably the natural, uh, the nature is imbalanced, right? You have a predator. Why do you have a predator? Because that animal, or sorry, you have a pest because that doesn't have a predator. So what we're looking for is to support nature finding harmony so that we're not constantly putting band-aids and patches on stuff, right? And so, so when you go all the way up to like biodynamic farming, really good organic farming, you know, whatever, we don't want to be dogmatic about these things. But what you're really trying to do, and this, this goes to the other, other parts of our mission statement, the body. I mean, think about what you're, you're trying to do. You're trying to support regeneration from within. You're trying to support people having the ability to heal themselves to bring energy and, and positivity and love and productivity or whatever to the world from inside. The other side of that would be like that first farm I mentioned, which is I'm dead. I need a shot. I need coffee. I need all these external inputs because I'm not in balance. I'm not producing vitality. I'm not regenerating from within. So we see the body, the farm, and the earth as these ecosystems seeking balance and can hopefully be producing, you know, this, this vitality from within. 
So uh, I would say you've got you've got farms that are just uh, monocropping using a ton of plastic, pesticides, herbicides, and whatnot. You've also got uh, farms that are uh, that are tilling really really deeply in the soil, which is very debatable. You know, um, it has a purpose. You know, to turn some soil, but then you don't want to disrupt too much of the integrity of the soil. So we have three farms we work with right now, and they all do it a little differently. And we support them because we trust them and they're producing a great product and they're doing the right thing. But none of them use plastic. Uh, one of them does a light kind of uh, surface till and then plants you know, a couple acres together. But then the next plot is veggies, herbs, flowers. Then there's polycultures of chickens, pigs, cows. So we're looking at this as this, once again, diversified ecosystem. Uh, and the same for the other two farms. They all have animals and they all are growing herbs, flowers, and some food. So they're not monocropping in the sense that I would say less than 10% of their overall planted ground is hemp. So this also, as a slight segue or, or deviation, is a model that we can implement with food producers. So people that are growing food that are selling CSAs, farmer mar- farmer's markets, restaurants, well, that's kind of been hit pretty hard recently. They can potentially use hemp as a bumper crop and in other words, we're not, we, we, we don't say to our farmers, we'd really love it if you planted everything hemp that kills the whole purpose. So we're incentivized to build a co-op and a community of other farms that can bring hemp in and use that alongside these other things. Um, a little bit of a tangent. So we, I would say that going on up to uh, organic, of course, you're, you're only using organic inputs or you're not using anything that's, that's uh, an input at all. You know, you can have organic junk food. It's still junk food. You know what I mean? So it's not just because it's organic doesn't mean it's good for you. Um, so that's the way we look at this. We're feeding these plants whole food diets on the highest level. So we want to be using nutrients from the farm. So manure um, and then uh, fertilizer also, uh, sorry, uh, compost and also rotating, rotating the hemp into different areas so that they can benefit from the nutrient composition of, of, of a different part of the farm that had a different crop in it before. So we're really geeky about crop rotation, intercropping, like I said, planting in herbs. Some farms do that, some don't that we work with. And the use of animals is really important because animals are grazing on a piece of earth and they are leaving behind manure, which is in the biodynamic world tuned for that place on earth. So that, that, that manure that's left is, uh, is going to fertilize plants that are right there on that, on that piece of property instead of bringing in stuff from who knows where. Um, yeah, so the real goal here is biodiversity, keeping it clean and, and using, yeah, using this system, this diversified system to build, to build soil health and hopefully the cleanest and most nutrient-rich product while also having a social and economic impact in the farming community and then carb, or, uh, carbon sequestration. You know, hemp can sequester 25 times the amount of carbon per acre as, as, as trees. Now, I don't know that quote, what trees, where in the world, whatever, but it's pulling a lot of carbon out of the atmosphere. All plants are, right? But hemp is pulling a lot out. So there's a real opportunity to continue to support carbon sinks. You know, so it's like, it goes beyond just creating good medicine, making sure the farmers are taken care of, making sure the farm is, is but in the bigger picture, it's it's a little drop in the bucket. It's a contribution, hopefully, to to climate. Wow! Offset. Damn, that's that's really cool. That's that's very interesting. I'm thinking about the swaggiest 
farms <laughs> and the amount of plastic, as you were saying, they use plastic. I didn't know about the the weed cover thing, weed suppressant. Um, but I'm thinking about grows that are done in big plastic buckets. And then also the greenhouses, you know, the clear plastic coverings that could be massive and all of the plastic tubing, the PVC pipe, all that stuff for irrigation systems and all that. It seems like as a crop, it's got to be one of the most plastic intensive of all of them. Well, I mean, a lot of veggies are started in hoop houses. It depends on the climate. You might be growing it year round because you're in a higher latitude or it's cold. Um, There's a lot of parts. There's a lot of materials that go into all farming. Uh, whether it's uh, hemp or veggies, you know, there's a lot of drip tape. There's just a lot of that. But it's a matter of taking reasonable steps. You know, we use straw from the farm to put down when we were planting hemp instead of plastic. So it's a matter of, of just, it might be more labor, more time, uh, but, but really trying to take these steps wherever we can and, and not be lazy about it. And hope that the economics do work out. We don't want to be idealists that are just like, hey, man, it's all, it's all good. We got to do it this way because at the end of the day, you know, we, have a, we have a business uh, to run and these farms uh, are running a business too. So we have, to, we have to be very grounded at the same time. But that's why right now, because it's so new, I think there's a chance that we can write the model in a way that works for everybody. Yeah, it feels that way. I mean, yeah. I'm a skeptical dude. I mean, I it's easy to get down on the world in, at times, and I just feel like if we keep pushing this way, uh, we we can we can we can do a little part. We can be contributing positively, even in our little way. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show. I've done one prior show uh, with uh, uh, Brian Chaplin from Medicine Box. Shout out to Brian about this, but this is going back like three years or something. But um, he had a very similar view and kind of the long-term vision of this, where could it go and how could this model start to then spill over into other um, agricultural systems and just all forms of commerce in general. You know, it's like when I was a kid, I used to go to dead shows and it was, it was not a sustainable or scalable practice, but you didn't bring money. You brought some weed or you were the guy with the veggie burritos and it was just all barter. You know, I'm sure Burning Man's like that um, to a degree from what I understand. But, uh, you know, I think there is a way of doing business where all parties involved benefit and no one's getting hosed. You know, we have this kind of like perpetrator victim model of commerce, which is widespread and been around forever. But um, in the business that I'm in, in a similar way to you, uh, when it comes to affiliate marketing or podcast sponsorship, which is how this show is funded, part of my life, um, not all of it yet, uh, is, you know, I share a product with the audience. The audience gets to discover something new without having to go out and do the work to research it and vet it and all that themselves. Uh, They can just live their lives and have some inputs from a show like this or website or social media. Uh, The audience gets discounts in most cases. And then uh, the brand gets a new, hopefully, lifetime value customer, which is really cool that they might have never reached. And I, as the person who's introducing those two parties, gets a small commission. And that's just one of the emerging kind of online business models known as affiliate marketing or in some cases, podcast sponsorship. And it's a, it's a different model even of advertising going back to TV ads because uh, when TV ads came out, you couldn't fast forward them. 
and they were all actors lying about something to market something to you. Now, you listen to an ad on a podcast, A, you could fast forward it relatively easy. Don't do that if you listen to this show, please. They're important. Um, but also, it's generally speaking, um, something that the host or the person that's selling it to you uh, actually really believes in and uses themselves. And in fact, to the point I've been approached, um, not uh, many times, but a couple of times with products that I just, I would never use services. I would never use. It's just like, eh, it's just not a match. And, you know, there's a part of me in the old paradigm that'd be like, yeah, but I want that money. Uh, but thankfully have had the discipline and wisdom to just hold out and, you know, politely pass. And then a new brand will come along that checks all the boxes for me and something that I want to support and get behind. So in this model also, it's not just uh, services created and rendered or products created and sold. It's also, there's um, an opportunity for more integrity and fairness also in the marketing and sales till the end point of sale to the customer where the customer actually is getting more benefit than just trading some of their hard-earned money for a product. So I think we're in a place right now and thank you for illuminating a few of the positive things because God knows there's a lot of you know horrific things going on in the world at the moment. But I think there are pockets of commerce like this that are opening up and people are starting to think about it in a different way and having conversations. And even if it's a, just a few small companies taking on this everybody wins model and marketing them as such, uh, it's only a matter of time before the wildfire hundredth monkey effect kicks in and other people start saying, wow, it's not only um, ultimately more profitable to do business in an ethical and fair way, uh, but it's easy because it's been proven. There's a model for how you do it. So I commend uh, what you're doing and your enthusiasm for it. Yeah. I, it's like, what do you really need? You know, like I, I barely pay myself, right? But I, I imagine a time when that'll change. Um, but there really shouldn't be billionaires. There, why are there, why is there such concentrations of wealth? And when I know, when I know these people very well that work, they're the smartest and hardest working people I know are farmers. Like it's unbelievable and they're not rewarded accordingly. So if we can figure out a way that our needs are covered reasonably, we work really hard as well. And their needs are more than covered. Like they're thriving, you know, uh, I'm okay with that. It, it builds a long-term thing. This isn't a get-rich-quick thing or even a get-rich-slow thing, I don't think. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's a chance. You know, After the forest fire, there's new growth and there's disruption in the world right now. And after World War I, Rudolf Steiner was working with some folks on this, uh, these associative economics models of, of profit sharing. It's not rocket science, but I was talking to Lance about that and that's something that, that he's really interested in is uh, finding a way to, to share in this and incentivize. We want more farmers working this way, right? You know, and so it is exciting. It's a, it's, there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of challenges right now. But, uh, but I think a lot of us really feel that there might be some silver linings and a chance to try things a different way. Um, I didn't comment on the processing side. I don't know. Yeah, that was my next question. Oh, okay. You're good, dude. You're a pro. Um, I don't have to do any work. No, I just remember. I'm always that, like thinking in the back of my mind, wait, what was that thread I was going to go <laughs> yeah, back to? Sometimes yeah. I write it down, but yeah, um, I was as well. So yeah. So, you know, it's like, uh, you spend all this time and energy. If we talk about this level of organic, regenerative, biodynamic farming that we're supporting all this time and energy, so much passion and care and attention goes into producing this beautiful crop 
without using all the nasty stuff, right? Just in its most simple form. So then, then it leaves the farm. The biomass, uh, the hemp, is ground up into like a tobacco fine coarseness or whatever. So then it's like, which turn do you take, right? You can go in this pharmaceutical-minded, uh, very, very heavy processing and strip it down to all its little pieces. And then we can make you uh, this much CBD, this much CBG, this much CBN, this many terpenes, because we've pulled that from lavender and black pepper. And, and they're formulating like pharmaceutical companies do, right? They're, they're mixing these, these parts. Well, uh, the, the, the whole is greater than the sum of all parts. There's, there's gray matter, black matter. There's stuff in between that we just don't know. And you know, scientists, doctors should, should admit that. There's a lot we don't know. So when you do that, you are inevitably losing something. There's a time and place. It's really great for certain types of very refined skincare or, or this or that, or maybe you get drug tested and you can't take the risk of having any THC, so you need a broad spectrum product or an isolate. Cool. Um, so the isolate is very heavily processed. It breaks it down into, like I said, the emergency powder, like a, just a single molecule thing. So when you see like a CBD soda or CBD water or water soluble, it's typically this very stripped little part. And there's research out of Israel to support that the, the, the efficacy, the bell curve is short and steep. Your body, it works and then, it, and then it's gone. But what, what tends to work with a much more profound, longer and, and, and uh, uh, higher efficacy, a longer, a longer effect is the whole plant. So the nutrients together. So if we talk about like a, a spectrum of farming practices, we can also talk about this spectrum of processing. So on one end, you have very processed isolate, and then you would go to something like a broad spectrum, which is usually extracted using alcohol or CO2. Um, they're both pretty abrasive in our opinion. Um, they are efficient and cheap and all these things, but they might say, well, we're going to take CBD and some other trace cannabinoids and maybe have some terpenes, but we don't want THC. We certainly don't want chlorophyll or polyphenols or all this other stuff. So that's broad spectrum, has its place. Then you'll have like what brands call full spectrum, which in our opinion is not full spectrum. If it's clear, if it's yellow, it's not full spectrum. It's not green. That's, that's our take on it. So they're calling 10 eggs a dozen and that's their full spectrum. <laughs> you know, Did you get that from a farmer? <laughs> I don't know. My grandmother had all these hillbilly terms, you know, I, I, it just sticks. But so, you know, the CO2 and the alcohol, those processes are probably the most popular for the um, quote unquote full stream or full, full spectrum. Sorry, I was going to say mainstream full spectrum products, right? It's clear, it's yellow. Um, it's got the CBD in it. It might have some other nutrients, but it's not by any stretch of the imagination, a full expression of the plant. So I came from natural wine, uh, geeky biodynamic winemaking. Uh, think of the food world, right? Why would you, you, you want, you want to get your nutrients from whole food, right? You want to eat the nutrients as they exist in nature. And so that's what we're trying to do with our slow infusion process. We literally grind up the stuff you just smoked and we soak it in oil. So think weed butter, right? Fat bonds to these beautiful nutrients. That's, it's so simple. It's, it's low-tech, high-efficacy. It's like old-world apothecary infusion making. So that's what we do. And that tends to yield a beautiful, green, terpene-rich uh, product. So- so when you told me about your extraction, uh, I, and you guys 
listening, I'm I'm tasting all of these uh, oils right yeah, now. Yeah, that's the immunity infusion. Yeah, this yeah. one is freaking delicious. That yeah. one I already that's our first herbal. I already crushed that bottle. I just found out because I only got like one drop out of it. Oh yeah. We've got more. But yeah, this one's rad. I was so glad you sent this in the middle of the the scare. Yeah. Um what was my question? My question was dun, 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 dun. I was explaining the infusion method, I think, at some point or Yes. Thank you. Too much C B D. Uh, the infusion method. Yeah, I always think when you describe that to me, it's like when you see a bottle of olive oil and it has some rosemary in it. Done. Right? Yes. You're infusing the, the turbines and things like that from the, the rosemary plant into your olive oil and it just gives it a nice subtle kick. But I can't help but thinking if I'm picturing, you know, I haven't been to your farms or processing plants, but I'm picturing like big vats full of oil and then all these beautiful buds thrown in there. And then you you know, separate the oil from the the plant matter. I always think, but you probably didn't get it all out. Like I'm always <laughs> thinking you're like ending up leaving some of the medicine in the buds versus when I think about an alcohol or a CO2 extraction, I'm like, you're just zapping everything that's not, you know, cellulose out of there. Are, are you sure that you're getting all the stuff out? I'm with not the infusion? sure. I'm not sure. And that's the thing. Some of these things are less efficient, right? But some of the processes we're exploring are increasing that efficiency right now. And I can't really get into it, but we are sure. working with that. But then again, we're also looking at, well, we've got this beautiful, like cakey uh, biomass that, that has coconut oil or MCT oil in it. Can we uh, turn this into animal feed? The nutrient benefits to animals, you know, whatever's left, right? But MCT, coconut, that's not a bad thing for them. Uh, we turn this into uh, byproducts, uh, energy bars, food bars. I don't know. We're, we're we're working on it, you know, because right. um, there still is inherent value in sure. in what's left over. Sure, and that's that's the dream. The dream is to have this completely, you just beautiful, dynamic, vertically integrated, or at least part, like even partner or vertically orient, oriented uh, uh, chain all the way through and after. Uh, but you know that takes money, and 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 we don't have a lot, and it takes teammates, and we're 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 working on it. Uh, but that's, that's the beautiful thing. And that's what keeps us fired up is there's so much opportunity, you know, like I really think we're just at the surface. So, uh, but yeah, there's pros and cons to every one of those processes and we're just kind of picking our lane and sticking with the OG infusion, you know, like they've been putting herbs and olive oil since the beginning of time. And that's basically a, a similar process that we're doing. So, uh, we, we feel, we hear that people say, oh, I use this brand or this brand. Uh, 20, 20 milligrams with yours, I only need 10 or 15. So that concept of the, the entourage effect, the synergistic effect of, of community, of all the nutrients working together, you know, not to get too geeky, but these concepts parallel and transcend all these scales from you know, uh, culture, socially, and, and into the farm, into the plant. Like It's all about this, this uh, synergistic and diversified group effect which is more profound than, than when it's isolated. Well, I noticed when you, I mean, with the exception, the immunity one that I just tried, which has that nice elderberry kind of sweet flavor, but yep. with, the, with the original Onda in the green bottle, uh, when I first got that from you, whenever it was a couple of years ago, it, the color of it tripped me out because it really is like this dark, dark green, almost brown. Mm-hmm. And then the flavor, it's super strong. It's not even like, like I've had like some, um, you know, like CBD oil that does have some THC in it, you know, for sleep or something like that. And it has like a really strong, it'll smell super skunky. I mean, it smells like weed, you know Terpenes, what I mean? Yeah. But that, but it's like 
generally kind of yellow colored and 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 whatnot. So there's just it's it's a strong flavor, but it's not a broad flavor profile. Where with this oil, like you know, it's from a cannabis plant. It has that kind of taste, but it also has this really not unpleasant, but quite strong taste. That was, and you might have had the three thousand milligram tincture bottle, which is super concentrated. The little one, yeah, I like that one. I go yeah. through them real quick, though. Yeah, well, so and then that's why we have capsules, right? Yeah, because yeah. some people are like, "Oh my god, I love this." They mix it in like salad dressing or uh, you know pesto, like that herbaceousness. Oh like, yeah, 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 yeah. You can really have a lot of fun in a culinary uh, context. But you can also just pop a capsule if, if that's too too intense for you. But yeah. yeah, what we make isn't neutral. Yeah. I mean, well, I like that. What I'm saying yeah. is I prefer that than you putting like a bunch of cinnamon or mint or something in there mm. and kind of like yeah, like in the context of wine. I mean, there's a reason why it has that bouquet. It's, it's really nice to experience the plant for me. Yeah. Um, I'm also someone who doesn't have a strong aversion to things that taste, you know, not like candy. Um, I take all kinds of supplements and shit that taste horrific but they work you know right right try taking a spoonful of kratom in a glass of water i think i have (laughs) so it's like with you actually it's like 500 ground up aspirin you know it's just so bitter and nasty but i enjoy it because i want the essence of that plant if my back hurts or whatever you know it's there's all sorts of bitter stuff that that uh yeah yeah yeah, right (laughs) i know i know i was thinking about that on the way over here yeah last time i i uh saw steven we were we were in a ceremony of sorts which will remain anonymous at the moment. What else did I want to ask you? Um, I did that. I did that. Shit, man. I mean, I really think we covered everything that I wanted to cover, which is rare for me because sometimes these guys go three hours, but I think we're on such a niche topic here that everything I had on my list um, has been hit. Maybe I'll close just by asking you, Obviously, you know, you don't want to let like proprietary future business plans out of the bag, but what do you see coming that could be interesting from your company or companies like you and different products that can be made, whether it's building materials, health products, anything that this plant potentially could offer us? Yeah, I think it's really trying to consider all pieces, you know, so the farmer or like the oil, like where's the oil coming from that you infuse it in? That's something we're diving down. People don't talk about the coconut oil or the MCT oil. Is it coming from palm? Is it organic? They don't, they don't have that discussion. So really geeking out on all the pieces of this to try to continue to up-level every aspect of it um, and looking at really creative ways of integrating it because like I said, it's, it's, it's kind of open territory. So if we can do this in a way that is cooperative and is beneficial, does that look like the profit sharing thing? Does that look like uh, you know, subcontracting a couple acres on a veggie farm as a, as a bumper crop to support the production of food in a community? Um, is that uh, new genetics that include uh, plants that have really, really big flower, high, high concentrations of flower or oil and, and, and nutrients, but they also have the woody stalk so that you harvest one part of it for medicine and the other part of it's for building materials. You know, creating these co-ops of, of groups that are working together to see the potential of this plant all the way, all the way through. Um, yeah, I could go on and on. I think I'd love to include it in more food. I'd love to explore uh, partnering with the the fiber component, but there's a lot of there's a lot of um, not obstacles, but there's just the infrastructure isn't there for a lot of these things yet. So it's going to take time. Um, but there's uh, a massive opportunity to really really embrace and uh, and help support this plant, giving everything it has to give and and showing us what it can really do. 
Do you foresee for yourself or just in, in the supplement industry in general, there being an opportunity to create products that have a higher level of THC? Uh, Not even necessarily for recreational purposes, but like if this oil here had, I mean, I wouldn't want it with like <laughs> that's 30% or whatever, yeah. you know, so one drop would like put you on the floor. But like, what if I just wanted a strain of that particular plant that had a bit more THC just for more synergy and just getting more of what the the native plant has to offer? Do you foresee that coming in, in a way that's used more medicinally? Not you have cancer medicinally, but just daily tonic kind of herb use? Yeah. I mean, for us, the big, uh, the big challenge is like all of the legal stuff that comes with selling THC, which is possible, but it's just a completely different uh, side of things. But I, I personally support folks introducing that. And, you know, someone uh, wrote us the other day and, and, and they were asking about anxiety and appetite. Well, CBD doesn't really help with appetite typically, but THC does. So that would be a case where I would say you could use this product, but you also maybe want to consider a higher THC, whatever you can handle based on the psychoactive effects of it. So really, yeah, focusing on what is THC doing outside of recreation and fun, which is its own thing, but what are the medicinal benefits of THC? And it, it, they, they need to work together. You know, like our, there is some THC in our product for sure. It's just maybe not as high as what you're saying. So I think, uh, I don't know what the government's going to do. I think it's going to continue to become more mainstream and more accessible uh, and hopefully, hopefully really good, good clean stuff. Um, but it's not something we're actively looking at. We're, we're really excited to continue to launch these herbal infusions. So really looking at, at in the herbal space, what are, what are more, and we have a bunch of recipes. In fact, this immunity formula was from three and a half years ago, and I never launched it because we just didn't have the bandwidth and we felt like it was appropriate this spring. But um, yeah, really, really diving into all of the herbs that are being grown next to the hemp plants at some of our farms and how can we, we dive into that. That's a whole world that I'm not extremely well versed in, but I'm just blown away by the conversations we have with our herbalist uh, partners. So that's kind of where, where we're headed. Um, yeah, it's, it's an exciting time. One thing that I didn't cover, which is probably one of the most important things for people that aren't familiar with the medicinal use of this particular plant. How it works in your body? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm so glad you didn't leave. And I was like, no, oh, I, thought about I forgot that. The, the most important thing maybe. Right. Why the hell even take it? Yeah. Right. Because, yeah. and we do that. That's all- funny because to me, it's just a given. I'm like, no, of course, like I'm going to take it every day. And you know, it's I could name super the benefits. Important. Yeah. yeah. It's super important to remember that. In fact, uh, on our weekly kind of marketing calls, my my little uh, team, it's like, okay, yeah, we're talking about you know planting uh, around the moon and and on a, on a flower day because biodynamic farming is very much connected to uh, celestial you know moon, sun, planets, whatever you you, you want to pay attention to that if you're into that kind of farming. And it's kind of like, I don't know if you're a kid, you ever ran suicide. You run up, you run back to the beginning. You run farther, you run back. I feel like we do that. We're running up and we're saying, you know, this is how crop rotation and using animal compost and regenerative bag, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, we got a little geeky. Now let's go back. Hey, welcome. This is CBD. And, uh, and, and this, is, this is how it works in your body. And, and, you know, CBD 101. So every couple months, our company, we're trying to go back and say, oh yeah, gosh, don't get too ahead of yourselves and get too fired up on kind of pushing the boundaries here. Remember to uh, continue to welcome and educate and support uh, new consumers. You know, this doesn't make sense for everybody. It doesn't work for everybody. It's not needed by everybody. But there's a big group of the population that is dealing with anxiety, 
inflammation and, and sleep issues. Those are the kind of the three uh, things that, that folks are looking to address in their body. And the way this works, so I, if, if we have the time- Yeah, I, no, I'll, I want to know. Okay. Our body, the, our body, in our body, we have the endocannabinoid system. The ECS was discovered by uh, Meculum, Meculum, I could be totally butchering his last name, but an Israeli scientist discovered this system. And it was like 30 years ago. So again, still learning about our bodies, right? We haven't figured it all out, obviously, but it's kind of a master regulatory system that communicates with different parts of our body. You know, in my brain, I see the old school operator saying, you know, connecting these cables, right? And, and, and so it's relatively dormant. If you're one of these amazing people that is at homeostasis a lot, I'm not. <laughs> and, and so for the folks that are pretty calm, like always even keel, they're like at center line. Their body isn't really activating or, or producing uh, endocannabinoids, and, and that system's not as uh, operational or working as much as maybe other people who tend to have peaks and drops, you know, and kind of live in this slightly more intense or manic, or, or most people are dealing with a lot of stress right now. So what happens when you're kind of popping out of uh, homeostasis and say you get a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, your endocannabinoid system, the ECS, starts producing 2-AEG, 2-AEG, and anandamide. These are naturally occurring uh, cannabinoids. So the plant has cannabinoids, phytocannabinoids. The body has endocannabinoids, 2-AEG, and anandamide. And those work with our CB1 and CB2 receptors to help us. I was an art student not a scientist or a business person, so bear with me, but uh, it works with our body to help us regulate and calm back down, get back to center line. Well, there are enzymes in our body that come in and they, they uh, uh, interfere with the success of this process. They will break down those endocannabinoids, okay? Some people have a deficiency where, where they're not producing the cannabinoids at all and they might have more extreme anxiety or more extreme depression or any of these things. Uh, and then, and then there's people that, like I said, are, are pretty uh, much even keel. So what supplementing with cannabinoids does CBD, CBG, CBC, THC, whatever it is that's in these mixes or in these plants, those compounds come in and act as a martyr. They literally say, take me enzyme, you know? And so the enzymes are able to attack this relatively uh, passive, uh, intruder, right? It's, we're supplementing with something that acts as a martyr so that our system can function on a, high, a higher level. So for those of us that, that can feel this, like within 15 to 30 minutes, if I spike, if I'm really stressed out or I have this load and I take a 25 milligram capsule or whatever, whatever it is, I feel my body calming. I feel it happening. And, and, and most of our customers do as well. And that's what's happening it's, it's my system is functioning on this higher level because I've supplemented with something that acts as, as a blocker or as not as a blocker, but as a martyr, I guess is the best way to put it. So from everything I've read, from the folks I've talked to, that's, that's the best description that, that I can come up with and has been validated. So, so that's what you're doing. You, you are uh, supporting the function of your endocannabinoid system so that you can manage stress better and anxiety. You can sleep better, calms your brain down. Uh, mine does at least, and uh, and and also uh, inflammation. And inflammation is the core of so many other issues. So again, to talk about getting to the root of something versus like patch, 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 pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical, it's all the same parallel. 
what's at the core of it. And a lot of times it's inflammation. So not only for skin, for you know topical use, like I was in the sun yesterday at the end of the day and I put some of our, our stuff on and I just don't get sunburn anymore. Uh, and, and then inflammation in your gut. You know, so if you're eating funky foods or you're getting inflammation from from variety of ways, this is helping with inflammation. So things that are pretty universal in the human experience. I love that ointment that you guys make. It's just in the a, balm, yeah. Yeah. I just always want like a triple size jar. We're, hey, we're coming out with the four ounce. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like a big old tub of I it. mean, it's good because I it it makes me not overuse it because it actually spreads very thin and yeah. a little goes a long way. Like one little dollop is like a back rub for someone. Like it's it's actually it's quite dense, but still I'm always like, ah, I'm like cherish. It's like a that. travel size and we launched yeah. that to get started and once again, our resources are, are thin, so we're spread, but we're about to do a four-ounce jar. Cool. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I still make mine last, and I do yeah. travel with it. I like to bring it on the plane because my back always gets sore on the plane. Mm-hmm. And um, But I never thought of using it for like skincare. That's an interesting thing. Because right, it, because people want to use Like my, my mom uses it, you know, or, or other people use it for arthritis, knee joint pain. Yeah. But literally just for skin care, post-sun or rash. I had uh, poison ivy on my arm from my dog. And uh, it, it went away very quickly. Wow! Cool. Yeah. So it dropped the inflammation in that. And I was kind of a, I was kind of a hater, not a hater, but I was a little like, uh, I don't know about topical CBD. And that was a conversation I had internally with my co-founder Annie. She's like, "Let me just make you this stuff," because she has a background in in cannabis products back going back in the day. And so she made this amazing recipe, which is what we sell now. And uh, <laughs> I was on a trampoline, acting like a ten year old, and you know, doing the egg thing cracked my neck like last summer just you could hear it and i just covered wow. my neck in it and the next day i was fine i don't know it was kind of freakish i can't i don't know it, it helped yeah. so i yeah. was sold on it yeah i like that stuff and it smells really good too so i it's funny because i do end up putting it on my face just because it'll i put some on my elbow or some shit and there's some left over and it mm-hmm. smells so good i'm like i want weed face <laughs> and there's <laughs> eucalyptus in there too oh really yeah yeah it just smells really good uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on in terms of benefits is, well, I want to dive into sleep a little bit because I've noticed using different products uh, from the cannabis world that they have a different effect. And I find with the CBD, like the one you guys make, that my deep sleep scores, because I check my sleep scores with my Aura Ring, right? Mm-hmm. My deep sleep scores when I use good CBD oil are much higher than if I don't. Hmm. And I've tested that A, B, C test a million times. I'm getting like, right now I get usually about two to two and a half hours of deep sleep, Hmm. which is a lot for a 49-year-old. So I hear. Uh, But I notice if I have a lot of that deep sleep, then sometimes I don't get a good ratio of REM sleep and I'll be a little light on the REM sleep. I only get an hour, hour and a half, something like that. Uh, I've noticed that... um, Cannabis oils or products that have more THC in them tend to hurt your REM sleep. Hmm. But the CBD with very low THC like yours has no effect on the REM sleep. This is just for me, Mm -hmm. but really helps with the deep sleep. So what I'm trying to hack now is like, what what missing medicine out there can help boost my REM sleep? Now, one thing, it's lion's mane been proven to do that. This company Lifecycle uh, that is on my site make a really great lion's mane and they did some studies around REM sleep, but I always just forget. I need to put one in my bathroom upstairs or something mm-hmm. like that. But 
what do you know about its relationship to sleep other than just like your subjective, wow, it really relaxes you and that helps me sleep? Yeah. I mean, honestly, there's a lot. Most of what we have are, are anecdotes. Yeah. You know, and I can say personally that if I, if I do consume uh, more THC, dreams are next to nothing. And most nights I have extremely vivid dreams. So THC will completely cloud. I mean, that's for, for a lot of people probably, but for me, it's so noticeably different. Um, but we, the only, the only kind of data we have is from folks that have done what you've done, which is to record and graph out their kind of sleep cycles and showing that uh, with the use of this stuff, they're getting into a deeper, a deeper sleep. But I can't comment on REM, deep sleep. I mean, there's, yeah. once again, so much more we have to explore. Yeah, it's it's geeky territory, and I'm you <laughs> send know, send it over. I'm you, you'll be our guinea pig. I'm obviously just armchairing this, just because I just sleep's always the thing I'm really working on. That's my number one goal in life is just crush sleep because it just you know it's sleep. Uh, but I do like to track the ratios of the um, the REM and the deep sleep, and depending on what part of the cannabis plant you use, in my experience, you're going to mm-hmm. get different results, or at least I'm getting different results. Uh, I think the last thing is something that just came to mind was back before the kind of current CBD revolution and even before the legalization of recreational marijuana in some cities, states, counties, et cetera, there was an underground movement of people using um, cannabis products truly medicinally, meaning for chronic diseases. I remember hearing about this Rick Simpson oil Mm. and uh, I'm talking about people that were well, were and are chronically ill with things like cancer, you know, MS, whatever. And they're taking like mega, mega doses of really concentrated, you know, fully psychoactive weed. Um, is that industry kind of still going? What's up with the medical side of it for, I know you're not going to make medical claims or anything, but I'm, I'm talking like objectively from your purview, what's up with like that, that type of CBD or, or, um, or THC product? Yeah, I think it's still uh, super active and hopefully even more so than ever because as we learn more and more about the benefits of these cannabinoids, we can direct people who are seriously suffering and, and are going through. I mean, we have a handful of customers that are using our extra strength capsules and tinctures for these kind of things. I mean, Rick Simpson oil is great. Uh, a lot of this stuff, the main focus is, it, it depends on the, the issue, but it's carcinostatic. So, you know, people that are hoping to, to shrink cancer cells and tumors and things like that are going for really, really, really high dose stuff. And I think that that's, you know, foundational for the whole medical marijuana movement. And it's, I think it's still very vibrant. Uh, it, it's tricky when folks reach out to me and, and uh, we've partnered up, we're starting to partner up with a doctor in Denver who's going to come on uh, and help us in an, in an advisor role. And uh, that's tricky because I just never in a million years thought I would be having conversations with people about their family members or, or them who are really sick and really suffering. The upside is that the benefit to even try to give resources and direct them and now bring in a, a doctor to, to, to help on, you know, it's very delicate. We can't make any medical claims. We have a ton of anecdotes, but we can encourage and support and give direction and, and, and just kind of say, well, we've got testimonials for this. We've heard this, but it's, it's, uh, it is kind of the Wild West in that sense still, but um, that's something that we think about a lot. You know, if someone, someone's grandmother has cancer or whatever, you know, we, we would never be able to sleep at night if we weren't giving them or offering them the highest quality, cleanest medicine. If they're immune compromised or they're ill or they're in a, in a 
compromised situation in any capacity, uh, it has to be the highest quality. You know, working in wine, that's kind of a pleasure crop. It's not really medicinal. This can be taken for folks who just want to relax, or there's people who are coming out of chemo and they are extremely uncomfortable or whatever the case may be. So that's a constant reminder for us to take this extremely seriously as we always do. But also, you know, that's why biodynamic farming and this level of farming is like, it's the cleanest. So we can with confidence say, yeah, um, this is the closest thing to the plant. There's other, other great stuff going on, you know, like Scott's juicing hemp. That's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing thing at, at juice ranch. Um, so, uh, there, there's, it's coming in a lot of, uh, pure and, and different formula formats for people that really need it. And again, it's not, it doesn't feel like it should be the government's say, you know, this yeah. is this is, what you can do with the plant. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree. And thank you for, for mentioning Scott Walker, the juice ranch in yeah. Santa Barbara. Yeah. I forgot about that product. I think just it's because unbelievable. it's, it needs to be chilled. So, you know, yeah, it has, it, it has a little more constraints and yeah. how you serve it and send it and buy it and all that stuff. But, but it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like wheatgrass juice made of weed, you know, and that you can froze it, freeze it in those little pellets and stuff. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that they are able to find a way to scale and ship, uh, you know, that's sustainable and profitable because that that's a whole other animal there is taking the whole plant and cold pressing it and getting the juice out of it. Which There's, is, yeah. It's pretty cool. It's very cool. Yeah. So decarboxylation is, you know, that's why you smoke or heat weed. It's convert or, or hemp or whatever. Traditionally, you're converting the acid form of CBDA into CBD and THCA into THC. So if you don't heat it, you're left with the acid form, which in the case of Scott and Aaron's juice, you're getting that, which has great anti-inflammation and other benefits. Uh, and so that's also something we're experimenting with is like when we, when we, we make our oil not heating it and, and just infusing it and, and testing out the benefits of, of that. So once again, we're just at the beginning of this so what does it look like to, to, to keep it super raw and just pressed uh, or infused in this case? Um, and we could also press it, you know, if we wanted to. So, and not heating it at all. So there's, there's a lot, a lot more to explore uh, in this realm. Cool, man. It's exciting. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful it is where it is and so cool to have you on the show and support you and your company that's doing things in a way that's innovative and good for everyone. And that's like something I really love to be able to do with however much reach I have here on the show, uh, which is growing. Thankfully, share this episode with your friends uh, listening, help it grow more, but it's really cool, man. It's such a, it's such a pleasure to get to know you and what you guys do and get to hang out and kind of follow your journey over the past couple of years. And you know, I know how startups are. I've had one for 11 years, I guess doesn't, you don't call it a startup after a certain number of years, but man, like, you know, uh, bootstrapping it is not for the faint at heart. So I appreciate you, you know, staying in the game and getting your hands dirty, literally <laughs> yeah. out at these farms and making sure everything's done right. And then coming back to, uh, educate us on how the whole thing works, dude. It's really great. Yeah. We appreciate it. It's, uh, it's been a wild ride, but we, uh, we're super grateful. We have amazing support and, and we have a lot of, uh, we just get charged. We get fed. We get fed by this mission. So um, anyway, thank you. We're going to keep at yeah. it. Yeah. And tell us where we can find you on website and social media. Oh, sure. It's onda, O-N-D-A, wellness.com. 
And it's the same for Instagram, but it's onda, O-N-D-A dot wellness. And uh, yeah, find us there. We have a blog, cbdplantmedicine.com. I snagged that domain a long time ago. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Aaron uh, puts out a ton of great content, good education. And we're just doing the best we can to, uh, yeah, do it, do it, do it a way that's, that's beneficial and inclusive and yeah, good for the planet. Who are three teachers or teachings that have influenced you, your life, your work mm. that you might recommend to the audience? Uh, well, uh, I would say in the last two years, I've really been diving into a lot of Ram Dass's teachings. It's helped me on a personal, personal side, uh, going through some stuff and, and, uh, I think hopefully makes me a better partner and business person in a lot of ways. Um, I would say that, uh, I'm pretty inspired and I've been geeking out recently on, on Rudolf Steiner stuff. A lot of it can be really esoteric and whatnot, but I try to really approach these things with an open heart and an open mind and not really, you know, get too fixated on labeling, judging, or, you know, setting these things. So I think I'm just kind of at the tip of the iceberg with, with some of Rudolf Steiner's teachings, who's also, if you're not familiar, started Waldorf schools and in Camp Hill and and yeah, stuff. David Wolf was recently on the show and he actually dropped a lot of Steiner oh, really? uh, throughout the episode. Yeah, I need people, to check that one out. People were, were digging it. Yeah. Because not only from, you know, like environmental, but just um, uh, in terms of philosophy in yeah. general, you know. Yeah. So a lot of people, I think, associate his name with, you know, having something to do with uh, putting biodynamic farming on the map. But of course, as that you was know, like the last was, thing he did before he died. I mean, it was, it was a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. 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 So that's, you know, it's something like that's a name I pretend to know uh, more about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, he's this and that. But honestly, like, I've never sat and read a book. Yeah. So it's good. Well, I, and it's, t- you know, true. I just, having worked for a biodynamic farm for a little while, I just started agriculture, which is the name of his uh, uh, teachings from 1924. I've just finally started that. I've read all these anecdotes and stories and, you know, books by like Maria Toon and some of his predecessors about soil health, but um, I'm just starting that. So we'll see. Cool. (laughs) We'll see what comes of that. Awesome. Um, Gosh, in the same vein, I've really been inspired by Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry has some beautiful poetry and some really dense writing, Uh, but, you know, considering kind of the bigger picture of how uh, agriculture, you know, culture, how it fits into to, to our lives and into the country and to uh, the, the greater human experience. That's been really, really good to, to dig into. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Glad we finally got it done. Yeah. Appreciate it. Happy trails. Happy smoking. Thanks for all that you do. Yeah, brother. Well, that was certainly a great way to celebrate our 5 million download accomplishment. And again, when I say ours, I mean ours. Thank you again so much for listening to this show and all of the other shows that you've downloaded and listened to in the past. Please continue to do so. And of course, share this particular show with a friend if you feel so inclined. I'll be back this Friday for a solo show. It's an epic one, guys, to celebrate the 5 million downloads and also to answer questions from the Facebook group. So you might not know, but we've got about 6,000 people at this point in the Lifestylist Podcast private Facebook group. And I'd love for you to join if you're still on Facebook. Now, I know personally due to censorship issues and other abuses of power and um, shadiness over at Facebook, I'm a reluctant user, but it's a great place for many of us to stay connected 
So for the time being, until somebody comes up with a better platform, uh, we've got our group over there. Don't tell anyone at Facebook I said that they're evil. But uh, <laughs> no, seriously, though, uh, join the Facebook group. If you search The Lifestylist Podcast, you can post your questions in there and I might just answer them on a show like this Friday's solo show. I was doing them twice a month. Uh, it's, it's a bit intense to keep up with all the questions and stuff. So I'm probably going to do them once a month. But anyway, I've got one this Friday. We talk a lot about safe sun worship, uh, sun gazing, sunburns, sunspots, everything about sun, because guess what? It's summer. We talk about blue light hacks. Well, actually, we don't talk. I just talk because it's a solo show. Uh, how to deal with and get out of and heal from abusive relationships, kundalini yoga, how to heal a broken heart. And then there's quite a bit of content around colitis and gut issues. So it's kind of a half spiritual, half biohacking show, which I guess really is quite common on this particular show. I try to mix it up. I don't like to cover too many shows about physicality because to me, the spiritual work is really where it's at, but it's hard to do the spiritual work if your body's falling apart and you feel like crap. So that's why I like to cover some of both. So that's this Friday solo show. Make sure you click subscribe on this podcast, you guys. If you're not subscribed, the new episodes will not appear on your podcast player or device, which really sucks for me and for you. The more people that subscribe, just give you the inside scoop here, uh, the more the podcast gets downloaded. So if you just download an episode here or there because you think you might like it, um, that's not as awesome for us here at the show uh, as if you subscribe. And if you were subscribed, if you're one of those smart and kind people that did so, you would also get next Tuesday show. This one has been a uh, heavily requested guest, and that is none other than Dr. Paul Saladino, the carnivore MD. And that episode is called Why You Can't Beat Meat. <laughs> I was going to call You Can't Beat Our Meat, but that was too suggestive. So I'll just leave that there. Uh, it's called The Ultimate Carnivore Diet Guide with Dr. Paul Saladino. That's Tuesday. And so for those of you that are curious about this diet craze, uh, he's got to be the leading expert um, on not only like being on this particular diet, but also the science behind it. And my mind was blown actually during that conversation. Uh, it was pretty wild. Now I'm still eating some other stuff that, that Dr. Paul would not agree with. Uh, because basically, in his estimation, the healthiest diet is you just eat red meat, salt, and water. <laughs> Maybe some avocados and a little fruit if you want to like cheat, but it's pretty wild. And uh, his, his, I don't want to say an argument, but his case was quite compelling. It sounds pretty radical, but when he breaks it down, it's like, oh, shit, I don't know. It kind of makes sense. Uh, I know that um, you know there are a lot of recovering vegans that listen to the show, and if you're a vegan and that's still working for you. God bless you. That's also awesome. Do what suits you. Listen to your body. But uh, in Tuesday's episode, he talks a lot about why eventually um, many people have problems following a plant-based diet. And, um, and I've noticed that too over the years, being someone who used to be on that diet for many years. Um, so there's a lot of information on that show for everyone. I'm really excited about that episode. And I'm really excited for this one with, with Stephen Smith, dude, that we just finished. Um, just an amazing guy, you know, really knowledgeable, really sweet. We've become friends over the years and he's just a cool dude. He really cares about the farmers that grow his hemp. He really cares about the environment. He cares about helping people. He cares about the quality of his products. I just love people that are, how do I say this? I love people that have integrity and competence. 
That's just such an incredible combination for a human being to know your shit and to also know thyself and to, you know, uh, walk in the world in a way that is integrous. And Stephen represents that. That's why I'm really happy to have him on the show and support the work he's doing. Also give them another shout out at ownedawellness.com. You can find those CBD products there. Again, uh, for you all, you can save 20% off with the code Luke20. That's Onda Wellness, O-N-D-A wellness.com. And that's what's up with that. And then we've got a couple other sponsors to thank. Oh my God, now that it's summer, I am shredding these products from Osea. That's oseamalibu.com slash the lifestylist. They make amazing creams and oils and sun protection products and things like that. Uh, Osea is just absolutely beyond organic, insanely great products for your skin. That is spelled O-S-E-A Malibu, Osea Malibu.com slash the lifestylist. If you go to that link, you're going to save 10 bucks off your first purchase of $50 or more. If you want to have great skin like me, use Osea. No, honestly, um, between that brand and, you know, just I've just used organic stuff on my skin for so long. And um, I've been told for almost 50 years old, I'm going to be 50 in a couple months, that uh, I'm doing okay. So if you want to take care of your skin, check out Osea. Their stuff is amazing. Uh, one thing that's really cool about Osea, actually, is that they use um, a lot of products from the sea, which their name would indicate, right? O-S-E-A, get it? So they're kind of unique in the space for that reason. Then we've got our friends over at Blue Blocks. That's the blue blocking eyewear you probably see me wear if you follow me on Instagram, at Luke Story, hint, at Luke Story, Instagram. Uh, blue Blocks is B-L-U-B-L-O-X, blueblocks.com, and uh, they have free worldwide shipping. And you can save yourself 15% off the blue blocking glasses with the code LIFESTYLIST. And last, and certainly not least, are our new sponsor, Life Cycle. And these guys make some very unique medicinal mushroom products. Their products are unique because they are tinctures that are made with a very special extraction process. And these are drinks, um, sorry, these are tinctures that come in a dropper. They're liquid that you can put in your various drinks and they are uh, like medicinal level uh, mushroom doses. And unlike some other mushroom products out there that come in powders that taste delicious and are awesome, uh, these guys are a little bit unique in that their products are meant to be mixed with other things. Uh, they have kind of a neutral flavor. However, because I'm psycho, I just take their droppers and drop them under my tongue because I, you know, I want the instant satisfaction of getting those mushrooms in. So these guys are called Life Cycle, and that is spelled L-I-F-E. C-Y-K-E-L, lifecycle.com. And the coupon code there is STORY15. That's lifecycle, L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L.com. Some very cool medicinal mushroom products. Uh, their CEO was actually on the show a while back. You might remember that one. And uh, I think that's it in terms of, um, you know, the sponsors and the thank yous and all of the things. I know there are probably very few people that listen to these outros. So if you're one of them and you're still with me at this eight minute, 45 second point of the outro, man, I just want to thank you so much. It means so much to me that you listen to this show and that you share it with your friends and that you just keep supporting the mission here. 
Uh, you've got my commitment to keep working hard and delivering the best conversations possible and asking in-depth questions and just delivering as much information as I can. So with that, I will leave you and I'll be back this Friday with that solo show. And then again on Tuesday with Dr. Paul Saladino talking about the carnivore diet. Thanks so much. And I'll be back in your ears this Friday.